Welcome to The Pulse. I'm Bob Hi. White. And I'm Paul Denman. What are we going to talk about today, Bob? Well, I was thinking we could talk a little bit about feedback. Not that annoying feedback you get when your mic's too close to a speaker. We're going to talk about servo feedback. So you need feedback. You need to know where you're at, right? When you move a motor. Absolutely. And so a, a feedback for a servo is, is in essence, what makes it a servo. And the feedback is involved in a couple of different areas in a servo system. You have the three basic loops of a servo system, which are the current loop, the velocity loop, and the position loop. The current loop is usually a very simple sensor that mm -hmm. monitors current and provides feedback for either torque or force control. Then the next level up is the velocity. So you need to know how fast you're going. And you could determine how fast you're going with things like a tachometer or an encoder, something that's counting the revolutions in relative proportion to time and, and can calculate what your velocity is. And then lastly is the position. So where are you with regards to the position of your mechanical assembly with relationship to your motor? So that's the whole key in a, in a motion control application is you need to know where you're at mm -hmm. so that you can move things to machine them, to package them, inspect them for vision systems, what, what have you. You need to know where you're at so you can perform the functions that are required of that application. There's a linear and a rotary type of encoder, right? Yes. You have the rotary encoder, which as its name implies, is used with motors that are typically rotary. So anything that goes roundy round would use a rotary type encoder. And then for linear motors, when you have a basically a rotary motor laid out flat and moving in a linear form, you would need some type of linear encoder. So it's it's measuring the distance that you're moving along the track of your linear system. Now, from what I understand, there's a couple of kinds of encoders. There's magnetic and optical are some of the most common Right. You know, we, we're focusing here right now more on encoders, but so encoders could have an optical where you have something like a glass scale that has slits or markings on it that are read through an optical sensor or breaking a light beam through a disc so that you can count the number of positions you're moving as you rotate. And the other type, of course, is the magnetic. Now, Depending on your environment, one might be better than the other. Optical encoders can be very accurate, very precise. Magnetic encoders can be as well. But something that's made of glass may not be an ideal solution for an application that is in a very rugged environment. So a magnetic encoder may not be great for an environment where that could cause interference with sensitive devices or sensors nearby. What about sometimes you need feedback... I noticed there's several kinds of thinking about encoders on stepper motors versus like a brushless DC servo motor. A stepper motor, some of them, they'll verify you got there. They're counting the number of steps. It keeps the counter going and says, okay, I'm there. Or maybe I overshot and I'll move back one, something right. like that. And where in a servo situation, you need to be able to control the profile or the move, and you need continual feedback while it's moving. So you're changing the amount of power to the motor to affect the move, like an S-curve or acceleration, deacceleration, that kind of thing. 
Yeah, that's right. In a stepper motor, stepper motors are pretty good at running open loop because you just count the number of steps. So if I need right. to move one revolution and I have 200 steps per revolution, I just need to move 200 steps. But without feedback, you're not really sure you're there. So mm-hmm. a lot of times uh, you put an encoder on it to verify, trust, but verify. So you do 200 steps and then, oops, it went 203. Your feedback device, your encoder will say, oh, you went 203. So then you can make a decision. Oh, let me back up three steps. Or if you didn't mm-hmm. quite make it, I only went 197 because there was fluctuation in torque or disturbance of the load that caused me to skip a step or two. Right. So in a stepper motor, the encoder can use to help correct its position. On the brushless side, however, the feedback device plays actually two important roles. One is to provide velocity or position information, but also it's used by the driver, the servo controller, to precisely control the current going into the motor called commutation. So with a stepper motor, you know you have particular steps that the motor can actually kind of count through by just giving it a pulse each to move each step. But mm-hmm. in a brushless motor, you have that continuous motion that isn't distinct by steps. So you have to understand exactly the position of the rotor to know what type of current to apply to it, which winding to apply the current in, in your three-phase windings to get it to, to smoothly transition through its revolution or along its path in the case of a linear motor. So mm-hmm. commutation is a big role that feedback plays in a brushless servo. If you're moving a lot of weight, let's say you've got to move 50 pounds, two meters, and you've got to be there in a second, it's mm-hmm. going to be able to say, I'm moving this, I'm accelerating it, but I'm not going to make it there in time. I'm going to have to give the motor more power to get there. Exactly. Yes. The controller at that point becomes a lot more sophisticated in terms of what it's doing. And it's utilizing the feedback to shape the acceleration, traverse, deceleration portion of the motion to follow whatever is being commanded. So you have three embedded loops, a current velocity and position. So if you're under position control, then the position control system is going to monitor where you're at in terms of your trajectory and tell the velocity loop you need more velocity to make it to where you're going, which in turn is going to tell the current loop, hey, you need more force or torque to get me moving faster. Mm -hmm. And then they all close within each other to perform the task of moving from point A to point B. And so that's a constant review of the feedback and shaping of the curve to provide exactly the motion that you expect. So optical and magnetic encoders, the two major type, Mm -hmm. although there's a lot of variations of both, right? An optical encoder, obviously, if it is a glass slide, it's got to be more accurate, I would assume. So let's talk about accuracy versus resolution. You know, if you've got to move a couple meters and you want to know you're going to be within a micron after you move two meters away and it's repeatable, right? Versus, okay, you're getting resolution, but where is it between A and B? Yeah. So you bring up the three terms that are very important in a control system, which is resolution, repeatability, and accuracy. 
And you may think, oh, they all kind of mean the same thing, but not really. The resolution tells you what's the smallest step that you can measure. A lot of times you hear, oh, I've got a one micron encoder. So basically that's saying, well, I can measure in one micron increments. Then the next part that comes into play is repeatability. So repeatability tells me how frequently can I hit the same spot that I asked to go to with regards to the resolution of the system. So if you went back and forth, you wanted to do that 10 times and you measured the variation those 10 times you moved there, it's not always exact. So that gives you, I was always able to move there within plus or minus one micron or something. Exactly. That's exactly. Okay. It's basically telling you how good you are at hitting the same spot that you try to hit. Is that accuracy? Accuracy is relative to what is the actual position I'm moving to. So if I'm moving an inch, I'm starting from zero and I move what I think is an inch, the accuracy tells me, are you really an inch away or you know, an inch and three microns or an inch and a tenth or something? That's your accuracy. Most applications, you want to move to a specific position and that position may be, I need to move to 1.3 inches. If your encoder is not very accurate, And you say, oh, move to 1.3 inches. It might go to 1.4. It might go to 1.2 based on its accuracy. That could have to do with how the resolution of it. It could have to do with the type of encoder it is. Is it truly measuring the correct distance? So accuracy, you might be off more than your resolution based on the style of encoder you have or other feedback device. Okay. So now what happens if you're moving a pretty important instrument out there. And all of a sudden you have a power failure and you've lost your place. When the power comes back on, you sort of don't know where you are. That's right. You usually don't, but it depends on the type of encoder. So that's the next piece of encoder information is, is it an absolute device or is it an incremental device? So there's absolute encoders and incremental encoders. Let's think about I'm driving home from work and I come upon a railroad crossing and and I stop and I sit there and I start counting cars. One, two, three, four. And I start counting the cars and then the train stops for whatever reason. Okay, I counted six cars, but is that the sixth car of the train or is it the 10th car of the train? I don't know because I just counted these based on that window of time that I started looking at the train. And there's no numbers on the cars, so I don't know. I just know Uh that six cars passed me. In the encoder world, that's incremental. Now, what if I came up to the same crossing at the same time and the, the train had numbers on each car? Oh, there's car six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. Okay, then it stops. Six cars passed me. But the car that stopped in front of me, I know is car 12, because I absolutely know that because the cars are numbered. In essence, an absolute encoder is is like having a train with the numbers on each car. So as it's going by, I know exactly where I am. And if the train were to stop for some reason, I know that train 12 stopped in front of me. In a position control system, 
especially if you have a device that's very sensitive, let's say I'm moving a wafer, a semiconductor wafer into position and I lose power, I need to know exactly where I am when power comes back on. Because if I don't and I decide I'm going to continue moving up, I may be off from where I thought I was and I crash that semiconductor device, that wafer, and I've just destroyed thousands of dollars worth of semiconductor material. Right. So, From what I understand, there's an optical encoder, very simply put, with just lines, black and mm -hmm. white lines, and a laser or LED, if you will, is looking at those lines, counting them, and it's just giving a signal, a square right. wave or some mm -hmm. type of signal, very simply put. I would assume there's an optical encoder that has somewhat of a two-dimensional 2D barcode or something. So when it powers up, it can actually read the number on the train car. A very good way to put it. You either have a, the incremental encoder just has unnumbered train cars. It's just slots moving past the optical device and it's just counting. I yep. went by one, two, three, four, five. But an absolute encoder has some type of coding and it allows it to read that. If you lost power and your motor stopped, then when power comes back on, it can read and say, oh, actually I slipped another two or three degrees from where I was when the power went off, but I still know where I am. And if Got I need it. to go back to that position where the, I lost power, I can move back to it or I can move to a safe position without damaging anything. If it were an incremental encoder and we lost power, I would have no clue where I was. Now, what are some of these that have battery backup? Do they have to be powered or the circuitry has to be powered? Or is that something different? There's some. I mean, technology has evolved over the years. A number of years ago, I, I can remember talking about battery backed absolute encoders. So they would have an encoder in it that if they shut down, the battery would maintain the information about the position so that when the device came back up, it would have that information available. There are some types huh. available today that have some type of coding so that when they power back up, they just read where they're at. The other thing to remember about an absolute encoder is there's two different methods to do it. There's single turn, which means that for one rotation, you have absolute position in that rotation. So in a rotary motor, you know where you're at within one revolution. But if you move 20 revolutions, unless you counted in some fashion the number of turns you made, you won't know where you're at. If that rotary motor is translating into a linear motion, you won't know, did you move 10 feet or did you move 30 feet? The other means to think about this is a multi-turn. So a multi-turn in a rotary encoder basically has mechanisms in it that actually allow it to provide absolute position beyond one revolution. They can go maybe five revolutions or 10 revolutions. A multi-turn absolute gives you the benefit of having multiple turns that you can still maintain absolute information. Some of those are used, especially in the old years ago, they use a lot of gearing in them. So you got multiple gears and multiple ways to count so that you know, okay, I'm at revolution three, position two. So it, it still maintains that absolute position over multiple turns. So if somebody's got to pick an encoder for an application, obviously optical, grease, dust, metal, fibers, whatever, you know, in an industrial environment, optical is not going to do too well. Is a magnetic strip or encoder like on a linear motor better or not? I mean, there are yes and no. Yeah, I mean, it's yes and no. There's 
the environment plays a big role in what type of feedback device you choose. In a rotary, if it's a high shock and vibration environment, you don't want to use a glass scale in the feedback device. Mm -hmm. You may want a resolver, which is in Mm -hmm. essence a rotary transformer. It it doesn't have a scale and it doesn't have any glass in it. It's just a rotary transformer and Mm -hmm. and your drive is interpolating what the what the motion is in a environment where you have a linear motor and let's say you have an optical device if there's a lot of debris or particulates in the environment like let's say you're in a bakery and you got a bunch of flour flying all around and it starts building up on your glass scale and your optics can no longer read it then you lose your feedback a magnetic strip might be a better solution there If you're in an environment where you might have very sensitive equipment, a magnetic encoder could be an issue. Or if you're in an environment where there's a lot of metal chips that collect on your scale, that's the same problem as in flour getting on your optical scale. So you got to be careful. You got to consider, do you need to protect it? Do you need to change the position of it? And that's the other piece of information that maybe we can close out with on feedback devices is where do you put a feedback device? In terms of position, if you have a feedback device that's way mechanically far away from what your actual mechanical position is, you may have issues because now you've got maybe a backlash in the mechanism. You've got maybe something that's some compliance issues in between where your position feedback is and where your actual position is. Then you're going to have issues with how well your machine is positioning according to the mechanical position. So in some cases, you want to have your your position element, your feedback element for your motion at the actual load. However, translating that backward to a brushless motor, the brushless motor needs to commutate well. And if your feedback is too far away from the motor, now you're not commutating well. You, you could have issues with commutation and therefore sure. you're not getting good smooth motion for your motor. Now that's a problem. Mm-hmm. So in some cases, you may need two position feedbacks, one on the motor and one at the load. That's why we, you know, we've talked before about direct drive. That's why direct drive applications are very good in regards with control because you eliminate all that backlash and compliance issues and your feedback element is right there on your motor is the same as on your load and you have very good robustness very high level of stiffness and excellent dynamic control. So any feedback on that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. Let me give you some very submicron feedback about this. <laughs> so what's the uh, highest resolution encoder you've ever run across? It's in the nanometers, I would assume, wouldn't it be? Yeah. I mean, I've, I've seen one nanometer resolution. Of course, I've also seen some custom feedback devices on super large rotational axes on telescopes that can measure oh yeah down to earth rotation levels so there's a whole wide variety of feedback devices out there that any really advancements be- or changes out there that you've seen i think the biggest thing is the ability to create communication protocol from the feedback device to minimize the amount of wires that you're taking back to your controller so right. a lot of devices now have a means to send a piece of data back to the drive that contains all the information about what's going on in the feedback device, as opposed to just counting the pulses. It's actually taking that information and doing something with it before it sends it to the drive. 
in right. that drive. So instead of like a yeah. like typically a resolver needs six wires. And you so you need six, you need three twisted pairs, and you need to mm-hmm. shield it. Well, if you put some electronics on a resolver and turn it into a smart feedback device, now you can send two wires. And that two wires with some type of communication protocol like BISC or Hyperface or some other type of communications protocol can deliver all the information you need back to the drive and allow it to do the work it needs to do back at the drive. Maybe we should mention there are a couple of standard ways to communicate to a encoder, right? One is BIS. Yeah, there's and... BIS, there's Hyperface, there's other proprietary communication protocols that certain manufacturers use. But typically it's a either a two or four wire element. So it, it minimizes the wiring that you require for any kind of particular right. application. Sounds good. All right. That's a wrap, Bob. That's a wrap. Next time we'll we'll cover another topic. And we always welcome your feedback. So certainly just let us know what else you'd like to hear about too. Have a good one. Keep on automating. Thanks, Bob.